Brother Kevin Carroll is one of the great characters of the Dominican province of St. Albert the Great. The stories about Brother Kevin, his sense of humor, and his way of putting his foot in his mouth, but also having a great time doing it, are legendary in our province. I got to know Brother Kevin when I spent a summer when he was uh, finishing up his ministerial life up in Minneapolis in 2012, and then another summer with him in 2014. And I can honestly say that in my formation, he was one of, if not the most influential brothers on me for his kindness, his goodness, and his good humor. Such was his sense of humor that uh, a year after I made my solemn vows, Brother Kevin came to solemn vows, and during the homily, he stood up in the back of church and fell over. Everyone thought he was dead. He was anointed. They called the paramedics. At the communion line, Brother Kevin, I was in the choir at the time, he walks by me, grabs my arm and says, Pat, it was all an act, and starts laughing hysterically. He was just that kind of guy. No matter what, he always had a good sense of humor and cheer. And one story that really remarked, that I really just remember him, and it was just indelibly marked in my brain, is in that summer of 2014, I was living at our provincial headquarters in the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago, which is a mostly Latino neighborhood. And Brother Kevin had spent a lot of time in his ministerial life down in Central and South America, so he's fluent in Spanish. And we were walking around the neighborhood that evening, just talking and catching up, and Kevin never met a friend, or never met someone who wasn't a friend, and so we're talking to these people, and there actually was a group of parishioners who he knew, and he knew quite well. They didn't speak much English. I don't really speak Spanish at all. Well, Brother Kevin got a wire crossed in his brain, and he was speaking to me in Spanish and to them in English. (laughs) And this kept getting more and more awkward, because it was clear that neither one of us really understood what he was trying to tell us. And he kept saying it louder and louder and louder. Until he finally realized, because I gently said to him, Brother, I, I don't speak Spanish. And he just laughed and laughed and laughed. But it's a good reminder, it's a great story and an example of how sometimes when we, when we think people don't understand us or they don't understand what we're trying to say, we just get louder and more emphatic. We don't necessarily get to the heart of the problem any more quickly. In fact, we tend to exacerbate it. We just kind of bang it over people's head and hope that they understand. Probably we, we all have our stories of a friend or family member in a foreign country shouting to someone who doesn't speak English in English. In 2019, the uh, Pew Research Group did a survey where they surveyed Catholics, people who identified as Catholics and practicing Catholics. And in that survey, only 30% of the respondents agreed to what the church's teaching on the Eucharist is. That we believe at Mass, the Eucharist, the, the bread and the wine, become the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. This survey sent shockwaves through the church, and especially to our spiritual fathers, our bishops. And for the last couple of years, they've been wrestling with this question of how can this be possible, this central mystery of our faith being so misunderstood. And so last year, the U.S. bishops asked our church to, in the United States to embark on a three-year grassroots revival where we are each encouraged individually in our parishes, in our communities, in our dioceses to put the Eucharist first in our life and to see what it means to be a Eucharistic people. The reality is, though, that for some, this can be perceived as a simply shouting, how can you not get this? from our church, but in fact, I believe it to be just 
the opposite. We are being asked to look at, each and every one of us, what is the Eucharist? And how is my life Eucharistic? Does my life reflect the fact that God loves me so much He has chosen to give Himself to me, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and that that both has an impact on my preparation for Mass and the life that I live and everything that I do? Does it reflect that? The Lord in His church is asking us in the American church to really be like that centurion in the Gospel who cries out, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because it is, friends, a great mystery and a hard thing to understand that a seemingly stale piece of unleavened bread can become God. But that is what we believe. How then are each and every one of us called to transform our lives? And in, the, in a beautiful document that the U.S. bishops put out last fall, they asked us to really reflect upon three major aspects, both in our life and in the life of the church, that the Eucharist represents sacrifice, presence, and communion. The reason we ask, or the Lord asks us to be here in church on Sunday is because He wants us to be present at Calvary. The sacrifice of Calvary is made present at Mass. Because it is only through the sacrifice at Calvary that the Eucharist can become effective. And so we stand at the foot of the altar, literally at the foot of the cross. Do we reflect upon the sacrifice of our blessed Lord, but also the sacrifices that each one of us are called to undertake in following His example. It is a sacrifice to come to Mass. It is a sacrifice to form our lives according to the teachings of Christ and His church. But it is a sacrifice that is fruitful and effective. It's salvific and redemptive. So we're invited to reflect upon the sacrifice. We're also invited to reflect upon the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Obviously, the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist at Mass, but also the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, the presence of Jesus in the tabernacle and in exposition and Eucharistic adoration. But we're not only called just to recognize Jesus in the Eucharist, but how that Eucharistic gift to us makes it possible for us to see the presence of Jesus Christ in each and every one of our neighbors. Mother Teresa was renowned for this. She would say to sisters, because they would make a daily or morning holy hour, she would say to sisters on their way out of chapel, Sister, you haven't seen Jesus in the Eucharist yet. Go back and spend time with Him there so that you can see Jesus in the poor. The presence of Jesus is real in the Eucharist. And when we unite ourselves to that, open ourselves up to that mystery, we can then find Jesus in the world and especially in the poor. The Eucharist is also communion. We recognize this. We say Holy Communion. But what does that mean? When we say yes, when we say amen, this is the body of Christ, to what are we saying? We are saying we have communion with you, Jesus, and with your church. I believe in your church. I believe what she teaches. I believe that I am called to be a saint. 
I believe that I am called to sanctify my daily life. I believe I am called to communion with my brothers and sisters, in particular with those with whom I disagree. We are called to communion. And over the next three years, we are going to work on that as a church. We're going to work on that as a parish. We're going to ask ourselves in our prayer lives to open our hearts more to that. But this may seem nebulous and big, and maybe I'm defeating the whole purpose of acting like this is personal by yelling at you louder and louder about these beautiful theological terms. Are we willing, each of us, to offer the gift that Melchizedek offered in that first reading? To recognize there's something beautiful here. I don't quite get it. I don't quite understand it. But there's something there that I can't understand and I desire it to bring what we have, to offer the gift, a literal or figurative bread and wine. In the early church, at the offertory, because they didn't have cash currency, most people, they brought the fruit of their harvest. People would lay before the altar grapes, milk, cheese, bread, whatever they could bring. They would bring their literal gift to the Lord, to the church. We are being invited to do the same, to bring our hearts to the Lord, to bring our five loaves and two fish and to let him change our our entire lives into something that gives glory and wonder to the world, that feeds and satisfies not only our greatest hungers and thirsts, but the thirst of the world around us. I don't exactly know who this Dominican priest was because it, it's only, I only have a snippet of this um, writing that he made. And it was from a Eucharistic Congress years ago. But it says basically this. So often we can think that the Eucharist is a mystery to be conquered. Where if I just work hard enough, believe hard enough, I'll, try, I'll finally figure it out and I'll, I'll get it. But that's actually not what it is. What the Lord wants is for you and me when we come to Mass, when we pray, when we serve the poor, when we receive Holy Communion, to be conquered by that mystery. To be unraveled and opened to the mystery that is God's great love for us and the sacrament that He brings into our life to heal us, to feed us, to set us free. Every Sunday we gather and we receive the greatest gift in the world. As we embark over these next few years on this Eucharistic revival in our church and in our own hearts, let's pray for each other and for ourselves that we might have the strength and the courage to bring our gift, whether that be the bread and wine of Melchizedek, the five loaves and the two fish, or just our lives to the Lord because he wants them. He desires them. He desires you. And he offers you himself in the Eucharist.